Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat and, uh, and get your hand on a copy of God's Word. Um, man, I'm just, I'm just excited um, with what um, God is doing uh, through our church and in our church right now. Uh, so thankful for the people that have shown up as we kind of launched uh, training studies this past week. Uh, people just excited to be not only um, growing as disciples, but excited for gospel ministry and people connecting with community groups and uh, people rallying around um, some families who are walking through some heavy, heavy trials and people stepping into deeper uh, ministry leadership. These are some of the things that we're just so thankful for in our church right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what we say all the time. We have one mission. It's to love God, love others, and make disciples. And, and we're trying to be so focused on that at every level in our church. And so, uh, speaking of focus, um, last week we started a new a sermon series called Take Aim. And uh, we've been walking through, uh, we're going to be walking in the series through the marks of a disciple. And the first sort of mark of a disciple is to uh, draw near to Christ. To draw near to Christ. That's the first mark. And um, we're, we're looking at what the Bible teaches on drawing near to Christ. And we want to see it from a variety of angles. And I was thinking about this reality and I, um, I got this little um, a diamond crystal uh, because there's no chance I could get my hand on an actual diamond this big. Um, and so one of the things I love about the way a diamond reflects light is that it's got multiple facets, and a diamond really doesn't glimmer until it's cut right. And, it, and if it has right clarity and the cut is right, the facets just sort of sparkle. And when we come to God's Word, this has been a picture of what it means to come to God's Word on different subjects, really, for a long time, for decades in my walk with the Lord. When we open the Bible and we consider something like draw near to Christ, there are ways that that theme is going to be similar as we go through these different messages. But each one of them is like a, is a different facet that we can see the light of the glory of God in Christ sort of reflected into our eyes. And it's meant to captivate us with the beauty and the complexity of what we're seeing it gives it depth and it gives it power. And so th this morning we're, we're going to turn back to the book of Hebrews, uh, this time to chapter 10, and we're looking at another facet of drawing near. We're looking at another facet, and, um, and so I, I want to encourage you guys as we lean in on that to look carefully at the, a different angle in view. And so we're going to walk through the passage together and then we're going to draw down off of the passage and go, God, what do you, you want to teach us through this passage that can impact and transform our lives? So here we go, starting in verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... So let's start there. First, the, the reference brothers there is inclusive. It includes brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and it's inviting us to something. Notice what it says. It says, since we have confidence, the word confidence there means a boldness or courage. It is an idea of, of standing into something, of moving in a direction with a level of like no hesitancy, confidently. And so what is it? Is it just confidence for the sake of confidence? It's confidence to do what? Look what it says in the passage. Have confidence to enter the holy places. The holy places. So 
The holy place is anywhere that's marked by the presence of the holy God. There's only one uh, entity in the, in, the, in the universe and in history that has been holy, and that's God. Amen? Lots of people can pose in posture as being perfect or think they are. Those are called narcissists. Um, the, 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 the only one who can declare himself as perfect above all others is our God. And any place where we find ourselves in a place of holiness is when we're in the presence of God. And one of the beautiful realities of what the gospel testifies to is that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, our very bodies through the work of the Holy Spirit deposited in our hearts has made us a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there's an awesome reality of this. Now look, how do you do that to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. We enter into the presence of a holy God, making it a holy place covered by the blood of Jesus. Covered by the blood of Jesus. Verses 20 and 21. By the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, So this now explains for us how the blood of Jesus allows us to enter the holy place. He says it there. It's by the new and living way. That's good news. Like when Jesus came, he instituted through his sacrifice a new and living way. Not an old and dead way, but a new and living way. And, and what he, what, it's a reference, this verse 20 is a reference to what happened when Jesus was dying on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 51 tells us, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Look at this picture of what the curtain in the temple might have looked like. And this curtain, just so you know and understand this, was in the temple as a separation between where people could be and between the Holy of Holies where God's very presence dwelt, and in the temple, only one person, the high priest, could enter into that place once a year for the atonement of people's sins through a sacrifice, through an offering, perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus hung on the cross in Matthew 27, 51, as he was dying, literally that curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There was something that was playing out in the natural world that was a reflection of what was happening in the spiritual world. And it was that the entrance to the Holy of Holies was now opened through Christ's sacrifice. Now you can see it. Opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So Jesus, through his sacrifice, made it possible for us to enter into relationship with God and through the work of Christ be made holy so that we can then walk into progressively the holiness of being made like God. It's all through his sacrifice. And then verse 21 just reminds us that that Jesus, he's been exalted to, uh, to sit at the right hand of God, and he continues to sit over the house of God, over the church of Jesus Christ today. This is applicable right now for you and for me. And then verse 22, look at it, there we go, there's our draw near verse. Let us draw near, because of, what, because of 19 through 21, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Now in that, just that one verse, there are four conditions that that we're going to apply in a moment. There's four pieces of that. True heart and full assurance of faith and heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're going to spend an entire point unpacking that. But first, I just want us to see that first this big move from this passage, draw near with boldness because of Christ's sacrifice for you. Draw near with boldness because of Christ's sacrifice for you. So when we sit back and look at this passage, here's what I want us to do. Anytime you walk through a passage in God's word, we get to a point and we go, Man, how, how, should that, how should that impact the way I think and live? What's the application of this? What's God teaching us and wanting us to see in this? And so let's unpack this together. First, there's two moves. First one, start with the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Like, Jesus accomplished something in his death that should give us confidence to draw near. Like, confidence. First off, like, it's a new and living way. There's something that, that throughout the New Testament, you see this pointing to the new covenant, the new and living way, uh, different ways that Jesus had fulfilled the prophecy of what the prophets were looking towards. And so what are we learning about here? Well, what's being expressed in verses 19 through 21 is the, the sort of fancy theological term is substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. Other people have called it vicarious atonement. So what does that mean? It means this. You can write this down. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. To know it is to worship him. To know it is to express amen, so be it right now over my life. Jesus in my place. And, and, and what, what substitutionary atonement is saying is it's saying that Jesus was the substitute for humanity. He bore God's wrath for sin. He bore his anger against sin that, would, that, that is the opposite of holy, is unholy. And, and Jesus bore that. He paid the debt that was owed because of your sin and my sin. He died so that through faith in Christ, we can be judged not as unrighteous, but as righteous and receive eternal life instead of eternal death. A new and living way. And when we understand this, it brings confidence to our faith. There's lots of illustrations that are out there about this subject of substitutionary atonement because of its centrality to what we believe. And and, and, I, and I've read through a bunch of them, and a bunch of different ones have been a blessing to me. Um, but I, I read one this week that just really um, has stuck with me. It's from Ajith Fernando. And he wrote this. He said, get ready. This one might be a little, little gross. I'm just going to be honest. Um, have you ever had an infected wound or sore? And when you open it, what comes out? Pus. And everybody's like, and all God's people said, Ugh. And so, so here's the question, what is that? It's basically 
the, the collective corpses of white blood cells fighting the infection that have died so that you may live. Do you see it? The substitutionary salvation, a, a picture of that is in your very blood. A pus is unpleasant, but it's life-saving. Without it, we die. And our very immune systems and the way God's designed this and designed us, it mirrors the reality that Christ succumbed to sin's infection so that it wouldn't destroy us. It's, it's, it's a glorious picture and the, and, and the nature of Christ's sacrifice is both at some level horrendous and kind of gross when you think about the sacrifice of his life on the cross but also beautiful because of what it opens the door for. It gives us confidence to enter the holy places, to actually draw near. Confidence increases when you understand the power of a sacrifice. And so I want to take the diamond out again, and I want us to see it from a variety of vantage points. And I want you to see that because Christ is, as verse 21 says, since we have a great priest over the house of God, the Son of God is still the living God, and the reflection of the glory of God continues to shine into our lives, and when we understand aspects of his sacrifice, it shines a light and it should sparkle in our eyes. And so I want to give you some confidence builders this morning, because I bet there's some people in this room that when it comes to standing before God, and drawing near that you need some confidence. And so here's a few confidence builders. First off, his sacrifice was sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Say, but I'm weak, but I'm weak, but I'm weak. Good, good. Let the grace of God that is sufficient shine into the broken places of your life and my life. A debt paid Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling. Okay, can we just agree that this is the cancel culture we want in the church? And in the world? Absolutely. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, debt paid. It's finished. John 19, 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He's like, it's finished. Then this one, once for all. Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. And like, the confidence that we have to draw near to Christ, the boldness, the courage to actually draw near to a holy God who hates the reality of sin is through the blood of Christ and we, we want to then, as the followers of Christ, take hold of Christ's sacrifice by faith for you. For you and for your sin. His, his grace is sufficient for you. you. You are completely and totally covered. 
You're reconciled to God, not through what you've done, but through what Christ already did. The debt is paid like you don't have any more debt. You're you're totally debt-free. To try to pay it off would be absurd. It'd be like paying off your home and be like, bank, I just thought you needed some extra money. It's absurd. You wouldn't do that. People would be like, come talk to me. You need to get some help. Like the sacrifice was finished. It's completed. There's nothing left to do. You, you, can't, you can't hear Jesus say it is finished and then go, but, 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 but hold on, I, 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 need, I need to do something to earn it. I need to, I, need to, I need to navigate or live in such a way so that I can deserve it. And, and Christ is up there in, his, in, in the light of his death and he's going, it was finished. You can't add another finish to finished. His death was once for all. It was done for you. And the great joy of verse 10 is that is that, is that we're, we're all part of the all. It said all. Once for all. And I think we rushed too, too quickly and I think that for your heart and for my heart in the way that we wrestle with the reality of sin and fallenness is that we just need to sit for a minute in these realities. And the reason why we didn't make a decision to preach draw near to Christ in one week and be like, we got it. It's because the work of God's word needs to fall on our hearts and our minds and retrain our thinking. That's one of the works of faith and it's a beautiful reality of God's word when applied to our lives. And so we just sit here for a minute and just go, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing what no one else could do. Thank you for being the perfect God who entered our world so that, um, so that the debt could be fully paid. Thank you for, for finishing it so that we don't have to carry the weight of that. And thank you for loving the world in such a way that it was once for all. And, and live by faith in Christ's sufficiency, church. Like, it's sufficient to cover all of it. All of your sin and all of your weakness your, your biggest enduring struggle and the one-time sin. Your, your willful sin that you're like, yeah, I made a decision to do that. It was a dumb decision. And your general fallenness. It's sufficient to cover the places where you have a lack of zeal and even apathy towards God at times. All of it is covered. Remember what he has done for you. It still applies. And so in drawing near, we have to start here with the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice and we draw near with boldness because of Christ's sacrifice for you. But when we sit in it and, and, and the weight of this falls on us, we don't just stay there. We move on to point two. The next action that comes out of that is that we draw near with boldness. Now we're like, we're understanding and as the work of God's sacrifice falls on our hearts, there is something that awakens within the human soul that goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can approach God. 
and there's a zeal and, a, and an excitement when you understand the character of God and there's not a hesitation. Remembering the, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice when you take hold of it by faith and you apply it over your present circumstances, you realize the glory of God and what he's done for you, his love for you and his mercy and his grace. It should stir you up in worship to draw near to that God. Like, like look at verse 22. We're gonna unpack it now. It says, it's like announcing it in light of what has been has, has come through Christ. It's like, let us draw near. Let's go. Like we're, not, we're not waiting around. And the church of Jesus Christ at every point should do more than just gather. This is not the end. This is the catalytic moment when we consider God's word and God's people say, no, no, out of this, out of what we're celebrating, out of what we're singing, we're like, let us draw near. And not for a moment, because we need him all the time, amen? Like, let us draw near. And so what happens in this verse, in this one verse, is you see actually there's four conditions that, that play out in your heart and life as you draw near with boldness. Let's look at them. First, let us draw near with a true heart. And the reference that I put up here was fully captivated. I want to capture these in a way that show the life and the depth of these references. Fully captivated, you approach God to worship him with a genuine heart for God. So as we draw near with boldness, we want to be fully captivated. And that's fully captivated by what God's done. Some say and suggest, and, and I can definitely see this, that, that this passage uh, amidst a, a bunch of others is actually a fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And you can read it later, but, but what Ezekiel is looking towards and looking forward in the new creation of when the Messiah comes is he points towards my heart of stone is going to be literally replaced with the heart of flesh. That's one of the works of a God's spirit in salvation. It, 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 ref, it makes reference in those two verses to th that I'm actually going to get a new heart and a new spirit. And so you see here a true heart. A true heart. A heart fully captivated by the work of God on your behalf. A, a heart that is captivated because of God's love, mercy, and grace that is certain towards me. Then, what's next is, in full assurance of faith. Full assurance means complete confidence. Now, I want to address something around this one that sometimes plays out in the midst of people's thinking is that some people are like, man, full assurance of faith, like... I'm, if I'm honest, like there's places that I doubt. I'm still wrestling with the character of God or the will of God or the, the work of God in my life in some ways or something that's happened to me or happened to somebody else and I struggle with that. It's not saying here that you should have a full assurance of faith that means you never doubt. Okay, and, and, and I don't know about other churches you've been at, but here at Christ Church, like, like doubt, wrestling with that is welcomed. Okay, you don't have to check that at the door and put on some sort of fake face that just like walks through suffering and trials. It's like, I never doubt. Just always happy, always fully confident. That's not the reality of what I believe God calls us to as disciples. What he's saying here is he's saying a full assurance of faith 
is not full assurance in your own faith. It's full assurance in what Christ accomplished. It's taking hold of that reality and literally pulling it over your life. That's why you see references like, I'm going to be clothed in Christ. It's not, it's not my faith, it's me taking hold of what Christ has already accomplished. My faith is full, not because I somehow worked up enough faith. My faith is full because my eyes are on what Christ has accomplished. And that leads me forward to draw near to God. Faith activated here. Then thirdly, forgiveness received with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What does that mean? It means that as you draw near to God, you you start to come under the the blood of Jesus and, and your heart progressively is purified by that work. An evil conscience is, is a reference to how and the ways that our minds can think about our own sin. I, I want you to walk slowly through the spaces in your mind where, where your sin condemns you. The actions that you've done. Maybe you feel in your conscience when it's evil, this sense of, man, you're so guilty. You should be ashamed of yourself. And it's this idea of my head is down and I'm buried under the weight of shame and guilt. Not even able to lift my head because of the weight. And, and, and what the heart sprinkled clean is this idea of forgiveness received. And listen, in our lives, there's some things that that need to just be sprinkled over time to make clean, right? There's realities and consequences for the things that we do and the things that we think that impact our life in such a way that God wants to, over time, sprinkle clean His forgiveness over those things in your life. You know, the way I think about it is if you ever sat maybe looking out at your driveway on a, We have a concrete driveway so it's lighter and you can see this so clearly when rain comes in, right? And it starts and and you can see the dots of the rain and there's still a lot of space that's not covered. But then as, as, as the rain continues or as the rain intensifies, suddenly what was just dots is covered and completely cleaned by the rain, cleansed by the rain. There are realities that we bring before God that, that are sinful and that, and that we are guilty before a holy God. But what God's calling us to here is that with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that as we put ourselves under the grace and glory of God, he literally rains down forgiveness over us and it starts to take what was broken and offensive to God and gets covered by the reality of the blood of Jesus. It leads us to to cry out in prayer like David in Psalm 51 where David confessed his sin. He put his sin out there. He didn't try to harbor it. He was harboring it and hiding it. But it got exposed and he brought it out there underneath God's cleansing work of of atonement. and, 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 And he asked God in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Confession of sin is the bold faith move. 
That's the move we make here. You confess you're wrong to God because only He can forgive your sin. When drawing near, your heart is cleansed as you confess to God. So we draw near with boldness, church, to be cleansed. Finally, this last one is faithfulness reestablished. Faithfulness reestablished. And our bodies washed with pure water. Water is one of the the best illustrations. We've already seen it with the cleansing and the sprinkling, but but, but now we have this idea of of our bodies washed with pure water. Water is this illustration you see throughout the Bible. Um, Jesus said that whoever believes in him will have rivers of living water flowing from their heart. Man, if that's something you want to live into, that's an awesome opportunity that we have in salvation. We're baptized in water as a picture of the cleansing work of salvation. We stand in the water, um, standing in the water because we have faith in Jesus, but we stand condemned before a holy God, and then we're literally dropped back into the waters of baptism as a symbol of our death to ourself and raised out of this uh, salvific work of God in the water represents the cleansing of our souls before God, and we're raised to life in Christ. What an awesome picture. In drawing near, what this point is showing us, and our bodies washed with pure water, not just our hearts, not just what's inside our thoughts, but now our our very lives. In drawing near, you move from forgiveness to transformation. This is all part of the same work of drawing near. I'm not just clean from what I've done, but I'm also now asking for faithfulness to act rightly, Moving forward, all part of a move to draw near. There's a purity in my actions that I'm, I'm wanting to align my life with the test, my testimony of faith. And so we start in this place where we have, we have um, uh, fully captivated and true hearts and then full assurance of faith, faith activated. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and that's this picture of forgiveness received. And then, and then it concludes with our bodies washed with pure water, faithfulness reestablished. This is why we draw near with boldness. And so the opposite, let's process a bit, the opposite of boldness or confidence is fear or tentativeness. Fear or tentativeness, it's like, you know, maybe like a first date. I mean, you're just like, I don't know what to say just trying not to screw it up, or the first day on a job, or the first time serving in some capacity. I I promise you, the first time I preached publicly, I was shaking so badly. There is a tape, a tape of my first sermon, and no one will ever hear it. It is in a lockbox, and um, and I'm I'm semi-joking, and um, so, so in this, what I, what I find when it comes to our sin before God is that this so often causes people to not draw near with boldness. Here's what I hear people say all the time. They say, I've heard this so many times over my almost decades now in ministry, and they say, I'm struggling to forgive myself. Can, can, can we just put that to rest this morning? It is flawed thinking in every way. 
how, how can you actually forgive yourself? S- saying that is, is revealing something about our knowledge and faith in the gospel. How can you forgive yourself? You, you can't pay the penalty for your sins. Because the, the penalty for your sins before a holy God re- requires a perfect sacrifice. And in the fact that you need to forgive yourself for your sins means that you sin, which means that you're not perfect and you can't be the perfect sacrifice. So how can you forgive yourself of your sins? You, you're not God. It, it's a distortion of your very identity to sit with that on your mind and heart. You can't forgive yourself. When people are saying that, what oftentimes is, is, is actually underneath that sentiment, false as it may be, I have compassion for the fact that what's under it is a wrestling with the guilt and shame and sometimes wrestling with the consequences of sin, which is real. And when sin is harbored, consequences only increase. So that's a warning to us that should cause us to move towards drawing near so that sin can be confessed, brought out into the light, forgiveness experienced, and and faithfulness reestablished. But the reality is, is that the God who has had Jesus Christ, his perfect son, the perfect offering, hanging on the cross, declaring that it's finished means that he's not angry with you through Christ. His wrath has been covered. Your move is not to forgive yourself. Your move is to draw near with boldness, church. Yes, yes, come with authentic confession. But but don't stand in a posture of needing to forgive yourself before you move forward. Just reestablish faithfulness. Seek counsel if you need to navigate through the ramifications of your sin or the complexity that it's caused, please. But right confession is needed where fear and tentativeness remain. But you do not forgive yourself. You can't. So just come out from underneath the pressure that you put over your life and come underneath the joy and the freedom of the one who's already covered it. You can try, you can even try to forgive yourself, but you know what you'll achieve? Is you'll achieve like, I've done enough works now. Notice the weight of this. I've done enough works now that I feel right before God. How insecure is that sort of forgiveness thing that you've created in your mind? It's incredibly insecure. And people live underneath the weight of that again and again and again and declare themselves Christians, but the reality is they haven't even come underneath Christ in the way their faith is playing out. Only Jesus can forgive. He said it right there, verse 20, by the new and living way. Anything else besides your sin being covered underneath and through the sacrifice of Christ is an old and dead way, not a new and living way. so good what Jesus has done. Because when you recognize this, you recognize that, 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 that to think about this four conditions, like, like he captivates hearts. Jesus is the one who activates faith. He's the one who, who, who gives forgiveness so readily and willingly and he's the one that reestablishes faithfulness. So what we have to do here is we have to turn away from self and put our faith in Christ. And, and faith in the work of Jesus through his death on the cross. And that is how you draw near with boldness.
it's faith, it's fully captivated, it's faith activated, it's forgiveness received, it's faithfulness reestablished. And these are the actions of the followers of Jesus Christ when they draw near with boldness. Every one of them is both important and glorious to consider. Jesus saw this rhythm of remembering so important, considered it so important, that he's like, you make a decision to be saved and accept Christ in your life once. You declare yourself a follower of Christ in baptism, has a response to your faith. You declare that at one point. And then, and then, but over time in your life, what he tells his followers is that I want to have in the church a rhythm and a routine that plays out in any gospel-centered, Christ-centered church that there's this thing called communion. Because he knows we need a rhythm of remembering. Remembering that Christ is sufficient. But, but friends, let me remind you that, that remembering is not the end. Our remembering is so that when we remember together as the, as the church, what we're saying in our taking of communion is, hey, because of what we're doing here, let's draw near with boldness. It's looking to the left and the right as you take communion and going, man, if I see you taking communion, that means that my encouragement to you is out of this communion, out of this remembering, draw near with boldness. I'm going to do that. Will you encourage me to do that? Will we stir one another up to do that? So, so when communion comes, um, this opportunity to exercise and affirm our faith is in front of all of us. And when the communion uh, uh, plates are passed, I want you to take the two cups stacked on top of one another. And if you're not a Christ follower, please just let them pass. This is for the followers of Jesus Christ because it applies to us because what Jesus has done. And as the band sings over us, um, we're going to start with the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And I want you to literally take, as you hold them in just a moment, and then we'll take them together at the end, I want you to take the two cups and I want you to hold them. And I want you to, I want you to look at that, at that piece of bread and the symbol it points to is that Christ's body was given for you. The perfect God-man came to the world and because he loves you, he sacrificed himself in your place. And then I want you to look and see the cup that has the juice in it and the, the dark red that points to the blood that was shed, the pain that was endured so that you could walk in forgiveness. I want you to see God's love and his sacrifice to you in that. That the sacrifice was sufficient, that the debt was paid through it, that it was complete, and that it was for you. And as you hold those elements, I want you to thank him for his sacrifice. And then with your heart fully captivated and your faith activated, I want you to confess your sins to him to receive forgiveness and ask God to reestablish your faithfulness to God alone. That's what we want to do in just a few moments. And so servers, you can begin to come forward now. And, and let's just take this time to remember and respond as the worship team sings over us. And then we'll take the elements together and all pray. Let's do that now.